0: at five years old, I was saving to buy a bicycle. This was back in Argentina where pastors didn't make a lot of money at all. And so I had to do different work. Um, My neighbors, my relatives, five cents here, 10 cents there, trying to save for a bicycle. And my dad was the president of the conference at that time. And one day he announced that we were going to go to this woman's house in the middle of the mountains of Buenos Aires province. She owned a hotel, and there was no church around the hotel. So she would put together all the tithes and offerings for the year and give it to my dad because he was the president of the conference. So my dad said, would you guys like to come with me, my mom and I? And we said yes. Well, we got there, and this woman had a bag of money. I mean, literally a bag of money. And I, <laughs> I couldn't speak when I saw that. I mean, which is hard to leave me without words, as you can probably imagine. As a child, I talked, I talked, but I became silent when I saw all that money. I mean, i have been saving for a bicycle. For sure, this woman was going to give me some money, right? So then I, 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 um, I sat at the table, and this woman started with all the money, distributing all this money right? So she goes, and this is for Sabbath school, and this is for education, and this is for evangelism. And I couldn't breathe because I was so sure a pile was for me. And so I didn't say anything. And so all of a sudden, the money ran out. And I became desperate. You know, because there is a time when a woman has to do what a woman has to do. And I was five years old. I got off my chair. And I stood in my little legs. And with all my lungs, I I yelled, and for my bicycle! And my parents, shh, this is the money of the Lord. I'm going, but the Lord has a lot of money. There must be a little bit for my bicycle. And they kept explaining to me that this is the offering money. and, And I was so distraught. I mean, I'm going to have a, a, a talk when I get to heaven with this woman because she didn't even give me one peso. She could have given me one peso for my bicycle. But anyways, it was the first time that I felt invisible in my own church. And I clearly remember it. Now, before I tell you the rest, I have to tell you that this story for my bicycle became a very known sentence in my family. So whenever my dad wanted more dessert, he would put his plate up and say, I'm for my bicycle. So throughout the whole, all of our lives, if you wanted a little more of something, you said, I'm for my bicycle. And I have to tell you, since I told this story on TV, I'm getting all kinds of bicycles that people send me (laughs) that said, I'm for my bicycle here and there. And when I was finishing my PhD, I was short a thousand dollars one year on the tuition and uh, my parents were already retired and I said for my birthday don't buy me any gift just go to the ninety-nine cent store buy things for my hair I'll be happy with that and they did so when, when we opened gifts there was a little bag with all kinds of things for my hair and I was so happy and at the bottom a little wood box little wooden box that my mother had painted, hand painted and I opened it and they had saved bills, which was huge for them, a little roll of $100 bills inside the little box, and a little paper that said, for your bicycle. (laughs) So this became very special for me. But the story of feeling invisible in the church stayed with me. Because, of course, that was for my bicycle. But when I started growing up, it looked like maybe there wasn't a lot of room for me in this church. And I still felt a little bit invisible. And then I went to the academy and I went to college. And still, my spirit seemed not to fit perfectly in the system. Even when I became a pastor many years ago now, decades ago, I remember my dad, I said, Dad, what do you think of even becoming a pastor? And I remember his answer. He said, I'm not sure this system is ready for your spirit. (laughs) I'm I'm never going to forget it. Is there anybody that we have been giving this impression to? How How about a teenage girl that gets pregnant and we treat her differently now? How about a kid that just got out of jail? And he's the jailbird, and we're not sure exactly what to do with him. So I'm going to speak to you today about the biggest, most incredible challenge that Jesus gave his disciples who thought that the people to be saved had to look and behave in a particular way. But before I do that, I want to tell you what the word gospel means that you saw that particular video on. See, most of us don't know what the word gospel is. So let's start with that. The word gospel comes from a Greek word, euangelion, euangelion, just as it sounds, euangelion. And do you know what it was? It was the cry that the the people from the battlefield, see, most of you didn't know that the Greek battles, when they sent um, heralds to announce that Greece had won the battles, they were called evangelists, because the word euangelion means good news. It means exactly good news. You know how we get gospel in English, by the way? Used to be God's spell. Used to be the old English, God's spell, which means good news. Okay, so when the language contracted, we ended up with gospel. Okay, so God's spell means good news. And it was the cry from the battlefield that the herald came to announce to the inhabitants of the city, our king has won. So imagine, if you please, being in, in, a, in, a, in a city, a walled city, and the kings used to battle outside the city on their own. So if it was good news that your king had won, the, the, the herald would be galloping in a particular way so people could tell from afar. In, in Hebrew was Bashar. In Greek was Evangelion, where we get the word evangelist. And they would start yelling and galloping in a particular way. Good news, good news. Jesus wins <laughs> for us our king has won. So the word gospel itself is the cry that comes from the battlefield saying, good news, our king has won. Did you know that? That's the word gospel. That's the background. That's why uh, I got to show you this. Go to Isaiah 52, 7, where the word euangelion is used twice in the Greek Old Testament. Most of you know that By the way, this is not in my notes, but I just want to tell you this before we start the topic. Most of you know that the Old Testament was written in what language at the beginning? Hebrew. And then it was translated into what language? Greek. Do you know when it was translated to Greek? 200 years before Christ was born. Two centuries before Jesus was born, it was translated to Greek. And it's called the Septuagint. Don't worry about that name. But if you are reading a commentary and it says L-X-X, it means that they're quoting the Greek Old Testament Septuagint. Uh, And it's L-X-X because the tradition says that 70 people translated it. Okay? So that's why L-X-X for 70. So the Septuagint is the Old Testament that the New Testament writers quote when they are quoting the Old Testament. Okay? So that's why when you see Paul or somebody else quoting the Old Testament, it's usually off a couple of words from your Old Testament. Because your Old Testament comes directly from Hebrew. They're quoting from the Greek. Okay? Now, I want to tell you where this this many times in the Old Testament, evangelion gospel, is used in Greek. But I want to show you one that you know very well. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52.7, now you're going to understand the actual meaning of good news, good news, our king reigns. He has won. Look, Isaiah 52, 7. In the situation, he uses the word gospel twice, good news. Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings, here you have the word, gospel, good news, euangelion in Greek, and announces peace and brings Again, same word, Evangelion, gospel of happiness and announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the background of the word gospel. It's the battlefield, the herald that comes through the mountains yelling, good news, good news. That's why sometimes we don't understand what the three angels' messages are that are bringing the everlasting gospel. They're the three angels last heralds that come from the battlefield saying good news Jesus wins and sometimes we preach it in a way that doesn't sound like good news at all by the way do you know what the three angels messages are I'm going to summarize for you revelation 14 the first angel says worship God the creator in other words he wins Second angel, the other power lost. Babylon is down. Third angel, choose the one who wins. Those are the three angels' messages. They bring the everlasting gospel. There are three messages that come from the battlefield and say First angel, worship the Creator, he's the one who wins. Second angel, the other power lost. Third angel, choose the one who won. Those are the three angels' messages. Okay, good. Now that we got the gospel, the everlasting gospel, we're ready to go. So now we understand the word gospel is the good news that Jesus wins. But who is it for? Is it for the young people that have green hair and belly button rings? Is it for the teenage girl that is not married and just got pregnant? Is it for the adulterous woman? See, we like these stories in the Bible, but when they become a little too real for us, we don't really know what to do with them in real life today. So Jesus had to challenge them that not everybody would look the same or behave the same, those who would be part of the mission, those who would actually be reached with the mission. So today we're going to study the breakthrough in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Mark. By the way, don't forget to order your book, okay? What was the code? Edmund, on the app. Book offer code, Edmund. You'll get your book on the Gospel of John this morning. This is in the Gospel of Mark. Let's start making notes. In the Gospel of Mark, there are 22 occurrences of the word bread. Okay, so let's start from there. The word bread is used 22 times in the Gospel of Mark. But 19 of those 22 times are used in three chapters where Jesus is going to teach the disciples that the scope of his ministry is greater than they had imagined. So Mark 6 to 8 uses the word bread 19 times in the Greek. So we're going to start with chapter 6. And you're saying, what, what, how, how did Jesus do this breakthrough? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. It's the most amazing thing. How do you teach a group of people that think that they're only ones to be saved, how do you teach them that they're not the only ones? How do you teach them that diversity is part of the kingdom? How do you teach somebody that not everybody's going to look the same that will be saved as us? It's a difficult lesson to teach. And so Jesus did it through bread, something they all understood. So let's get started. Chapter 6 of Mark, the feeding of the 5,000. That's where we start. So we start in Jewish territory. Now, all the setting will be given to you in numbers. Don't forget that numbers are very important in the Bible. And all the numbers that will be used in this story are Jewish numbers. Because we are in Jewish territory. Now, there's four people here that went to Israel with me two months ago, three months ago. It was the most amazing thing to be able to do this topic next to the Sea of Galilee. On the site where they multiply, where he multiplied the bread. And where we could see the other side, where the other people were supposed to be, on the other side of the lake, and we could see it from there. Now, check this out. Mark 6, we are now in Jewish territory. And all the numbers and words will have to be for the Jewish people. Jesus is about to feed the Jewish people. And they've been waiting for a Messiah for a long time, so they're very excited. But look at some of the little things in the narrative that remind us that these are Jewish people in Jewish territory, looking Jewish, behaving Jewish, doing Jewish things. Okay, ready? Mark 6, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. And take this next sentence. They were like sheep without a shepherd, which many, many times is the description of Israel in the Bible. It's a very important one, underline it, because we will get a lot of little Jewish sentences here. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When he was already quite late, i mean, Mark 6, 35, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it's already quite late. The disciples bring to Jesus the need to feed the people. They are their, these are their people. They need to be fed. You can't send them away. They're going to, you know, They're not going to make it. So we have to do something, said the sapos. This place is desolate and it's already quite late. I'm in verse 36. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves, and the Greek says, how many loaves of bread do you have? And when they found out, they said, how many? How many? Five and two fish. Of course, you know that the number five is very important for the Jews. Why is it important? Number five. Why is it important? Many, many stories have fives in the Bible for the Jewish people. Do you remember something about five? Yes. The books of Moses, how many were they? Five. five. What is that called? The Pent- no, the situation is the whole Old Testament. It's called the Torah in Hebrew and in Greek? Pentateuch. Very good. So when you say the books of Moses, you're always talking about five. So five, they said, five loaves of bread. And he commanded them all to sit, verse 39, by groups on green grass. Very interesting what comes next. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. This is the way they used to sit down in the wilderness uh, with Moses. But they sat in groups of hundreds and fifties. Verse 41, he did four things, write it down, four verbs. He took the five loaves, in case you forgot how many. He took them, he blessed them, he broke them, and he gave it to them. So again, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were what? What is your word there? Filled. What else? Satisfied. So the Greek says they were to the full, right? So they were full. So some of your versions say filled. Some say satisfied. And this is the way we like it. These are the people of God. They are filled. They've been waiting for the new Messiah, the new Moses. He has come. He's feeding them. They were all satisfied. Verse 43. They picked up how many baskets? Interesting. 12 why is 12 an important number for the jews 12 tribes. very good they picked up 12 full baskets and the word for baskets is a very specific word of the of the baskets of the jews i'm going to show it to you in a moment here and 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 they filled 12 baskets one per tribe is 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 uh, overflow and they were how many people there 5,000 men without counting men and women. Okay, so let's put it on the screen. I'm going to put the first feeding. And this is the way the first feeding happens. The numbers are 5 and 12 for the law and the tribes. Four verbs. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. They were all satisfied. They were filled. And the word is kofinos for baskets used here in the Greek, which were the baskets of the Jews. That's the way we like it. Our group is filled. Jesus has come for people like us. That's how we like it. But then Jesus has the craziest idea. Jesus has the idea that they have to go to the other side, which challenges us so much. And he says to them, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other Side. You have to understand that in the Gospel of Mark, the other side is the other side. Not just of the lake, but culturally and, and the whole thing. This is where the demons are. This is where the pigs are. This is where the other people are that don't think like us. So, anytime in the Gospel of Mark where it says this side or the other side, you know if you're on our side or if you're on the other side. It's very important spatially. In the Gospel of Mark. So they go to the other side, but they they have to understand that disciples are not feeling very comfortable going to the other side. They're not. So much so, I'm going to tell you something that if you had the background commentary of the customs, you would know that at that time, people believed the spirits lived in the water. So when they see Jesus walking on the water, they think he's a what? ghost he they are so scared because they're going to the other side and this storm comes and they for sure know why the storm is coming because they're going to the other side and so you say yeah but it's not related oh hold on hold on look at what it says here this is so fascinating They go, they think he's a ghost, verse 49. They get this terrible storm. They think they're dying because they're going to the other side. And Jesus shows up on verse 50 and says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 51. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. And look what verse 52 says. Like, this is completely out of place. Verse 52. They were utterly astonished because they had not gained Any insight from the incident of the loaves. What? What does that verse have to do in the middle of the storm? It says, by the way, they were scared because they had not understood what Jesus had done with the bread. It looks like it's out of place. That's why you need to read your Bible when we're doing this. Because in the middle of the storm, we get a verse about bread. And the Greek says, they had not understood the incident of the loaves of bread. What does that have to do with anything? You mean they wouldn't have been scared if they had understood about the bread? What didn't they understand about the bread? Well, the next chapter is all about what is clean and what unclean. Is clean what comes from the inside or what comes from the outside? And so Jesus comes to a place on chapter 7 that it would have been the most unclean territory for the Jewish people. He arrives in Tyre and Sidon. Chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And you have to understand the whole audience of Mark goes, "Oh, he's in Tyre? Tyre and Sidon, this is the area where the queen Jezebel that was so evil and led all of Israel astray. That's where she comes from. What is Jesus doing in Tyre? A woman comes to him. And this woman has what I call a crescendo of demerit. Verse 26, she's a woman and she's a Gentile of, and of the Gentiles of the Syrophoenician race. This couldn't get any worse. It sounds like some of the messages I get on my answering machine. You're a woman, you're a Latina, and you're a pastor. How bad can it get? <laughs> so here we have, this is a woman. And she's a Gentile. And she's of the Gentiles, the worst kind, Syrophoenician race. And when you think you're going to find a woman that is ignorant, that she doesn't understand anything, she becomes this insightful person that gets what the disciples don't get. And, and everybody's saying, go away, go away. And Jesus says, go away, because he's teaching the disciples something. And he said to her, verse 27, check this out. Let the children be satisfied first. Underline the word satisfied because it's the the same word that you underlined a moment ago when the 5,000 were satisfied. So he says, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, is it? So Jesus just fed the 5,000 on Jewish territory. And this woman comes in Tyre and says, is there enough for my bicycle? And the disciples are saying, no, there isn't. And Jesus is saying, is it okay for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? Now, you have to understand that in the two charts of people and animals, the dogs were in the same spot the Gentiles were in the people's chart. Now, we had had here 12 kofinos full. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. We have had 12 basketfuls of bread that were overflowing with the people of Israel. Now, this woman, who does she think she is? Coming to ask of Jesus a favor to heal her demon possessed daughter entire. No, no, says Jesus. Is it okay to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? It's more, he uses the same word, satisfied. And he gives her a riddle about bread that the disciples don't understand because they think he should throw this woman away. They think she's not included. Is, Let the children be satisfied first, says Jesus, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, is it? But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, insightful woman understands the riddle about bread. The disciples don't, she does. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table can feed on the children's crumbs. Yes, she says, there's enough for my bicycle, she says. And Jesus looks at her and says, oh, woman, you get it. My disciples don't get it, but you get it. There's enough bread to go around for this side and the other side. For men and women, for black and white, for young and old, for black hair, blue hair, and green hair. There's enough. Your daughter will be healed. This is the breakthrough moment in this gospel where we get the bread, the the riddle on bread. And Jesus talks about, yes, but this is the bread for the children. Shouldn't they be satisfied first? And she goes, yeah, 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 they can be satisfied first, but there's enough bread for us, too, on the other side. Well, guess what? The next chapter is a feeding of bread on the other side. Chapter 8, Jesus will feed The 4,000. All the numbers have changed. All the words for baskets have changed. Everything has changed because now he's feeding on Gentile territory. Isn't this amazing? It's amazing. I think it's amazing. And so we're on the other side now. And everything has changed. Chapter 8. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples, and this time he initiates the need for them to be fed. Because as far as the disciples are concerned, they can care less. These people can die of hunger. Jesus says, I have compassion for the people. Verse 2. They have remained with me now three days. I have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where, where will anyone be finding enough bread for this, in this desolate place to satisfy these people, these people? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? This is the question in all the narratives. How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now I got to tell you what seven means in the map of the promised land. Because I know you always heard that seven is the the number of wholeness, and it's true theologically. But geographically, it meant something very specific to the people of Israel. So keep your hand there and go with me to one of those places where it explains it. Acts, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 19. Acts, chapter 13, verse 19. It's one of the many places where this is mentioned so that you know what seven means in the map. Acts 13, 19. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance. How many nations did Israel displace from Canaan? Seven. seven. Very good. Somebody's listening over there. And you can go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, and it will mention the seven nations by name. Deuteronomy 7.1 and in many other places too. So there's seven nations. Every time Israel heard seven nations, they knew perfectly these were the pagan nations that had been displaced by Israel when they entered Canaan. Now go back to the narrative in Mark. Now talk about a catalyst. These These are the disciples who thought that this is our group. People have to smell like us, look like us. Talk like us in order to be saved by our Messiah. Jesus makes them go to the other side, which they're already struggling with. This woman comes and says, is there enough bread for us? And Jesus says, but the children should be satisfied first. And she says, yeah, but there can be some crumbs for us. And he says, of course there is. And now he's feeding the other people Gentile territory. And the numbers symbolic of those people. The other people, the ones that are on the other side where the pigs are and the demons are. And so now, how many loves do you have? Seven, verse five. I mean Mark eight, five. He directed the people to sit down on the ground and he did four things. This time they didn't sit in fifties and hundreds because this is not Israel. We're no longer in Israel territory. They're not behaving like the nation of Moses. They don't sit in 50s and 100s like the previous narrative. They just sit, period. They sit on the ground, and he did four things with the seven loaves. He took the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He took it, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. They also had a few small fish, verse 7. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they all ate and were what? Satisfied. Same word. Whatever word you had in the first feeding and with the Syrophoenician woman, now you have it here. They were filled. They were full. They were satisfied. And, verse 8, they picked up how many baskets? Seven. seven. One per pagan nation. Now we have orphan flow, not just 12 like the 12 tribes. Now we have seven baskets left. And most of your um, versions will say large baskets. But the truth is the word changed altogether in the Greek to another Greek word that had to do with the baskets of the Greeks. That is no longer kofinos, it's now spuris. I'm going to put it in a moment on the screen. So they picked up seven spuris, the Greek the Greek baskets full of what was left over. And how many people were there? Verse 9. 4,000. You know the number four in the Bible is the whole earth, right? The four corners of the earth like it's used in Revelation 11. Four is the, everybody in the, in the world. Okay, so let's put it on the screen. So now we have a different feeding. Seven and four are our numbers in this feeding. 4,000. Seven seven loaves, seven baskets full, four verbs. Again, he took it, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them. They were all satisfied. And the word for baskets now is puris. That's why most of your versions say large baskets, because we don't have two words for baskets in English, but in Greek we do. And these are the Greek baskets. You mean there was enough bread for the people on the other side, for those who didn't look like us, for the diversity people, for the for the different color and different accent and different habits and different times of worship and different this and different that? How is it possible that there's enough bread for them? And now, in case you think I'm putting all of this together by myself, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will put it together, the two narratives. Only in the Gospel of Mark we get the summary that Jesus makes of the two feedings. Chapter 8. Verse 18. Now check this out. This gets better and better and better and better. If you think this is good, wait till you see in a moment. It's going to take your breath away. Chapter 8, verse 18. Having eyes, this is Jesus speaking. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many, and the word there is, Coffins, full of broken pieces, you picked up? And they said to him, 12. Verse 20. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many, and he changes the word to spurries here, how many spurries full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Amazing? Are you, aren't you a little shocked? I mean, I'm getting goosebumps and I already knew the topic. Imagine. Jesus puts it together and says, Do you, do you not know understand? Aren't you understanding? Jesus says, there's, there's enough bread for the seven. Seven spurries left. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven spurries left. There's enough bread for the twelve and the seven. And the disciples are like, What? So the summary. It's here, Jesus' summary. Twelve coffinos and seven spouries. Don't you understand? Says Jesus. We all know that there's enough bread, but we don't know what the bread is yet. All that Jesus, Mark has this incredible plot of bread that is building up, and all we know is that we didn't realize the scope of Jesus' ministry, and we're starting to realize that there's enough bread for people that are on the other side, and they, mm, the... Really? Could it be? Jesus puts both of them together. Twelve coffinos and seven spuris. Do you understand? But we still don't know what the bread is. And so Mark will. F- <laughs> I just love this. Bread, the bread plot, Jesus will tell us what it is. So Mark brings us with bread and bread and bread, first for the 5,000 in Jewish territory, then bread for the Syrophoenician woman, then bread for all the Gentiles in Gentile territory. And then, at the very end of the gospel, the bread riddle is revealed. Chapter 14 of Mark. Jesus will reveal the bread riddle. Verse 22, Mark 14, 22. While they were eating, he did something that but now the hearer has heard twice. He took the bread and blessed the bread and broke the bread and gave the bread and explained and said, this is my body. Isn't, isn't it amazing? Because we got all the narratives saying, there's no bread for this side. There's no bread for that side. And then Jesus says, do you know what the bread is? It's me. And he does the four verbs that we had the whole time long. And he took the bread and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread. And he gave them the bread and said, this is my body that is broken for all of you. It's amazing. And the disciples were, are you serious? It's for all? You know, we have struggled with this for such a long time. Many of your kids are not in church. Because we told them they did not qualify. We told them they were on the other side. And if they wore this or they wore that, they couldn't come in. We told them that they were way far out there, that unless they did everything like we did it, they couldn't come in. There's kids out there that got pregnant when they were teenagers that we didn't know how to embrace. Some of your kids need a phone call right now where you say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I thought my God was so little that fit in a little box. But you're included and I'm so sorry that for so many years I didn't know how to tell you that God's love is that great. And yes, I would like all your kids to be sitting here with us today. But if they're worshiping in a different Christian church and they're getting Jesus, praise the Lord. Because there's enough bread for this side and the other side. And they're not even on the other side. They're on our side. And there's people on the other side that still need to know that even they are included. You know, one time, I don't know how many of you know the the president of the North American Division. He's an amazing man, Dan Jackson. He's about to retire. But I had the incredible blessing of serving under him all this time. And when he was a pastor one time, there was a young adult outside the church, and he went to invite him in. And this man said, this young man said, I cannot go in. I smell, you know, I've been smoking. And Dan said to him, if every one of our sins smelled, this would be a very smelly place. So please come in and join us. Can you imagine what church would be, what our mission would be if at some point we became convinced that there's enough bread for this side and the other side, for men and for women? (laughs) Can you imagine that women can preach the gospel too? Can you imagine what it would be if we tell the young people that they're not just the future of our church, but that they're the present? What would it be? Looked like if all black and white and young and old and men and women felt that there was enough bread for them. And there is. And Jesus said, It is my broken body and it's enough for everybody. And when our denomination started, we were told, Don't ever finish a sermon without telling people about Jesus. Yeah. And I'm going to put this quote from Ellen White. On the screen for you. Because sometimes we forget that this was the beginning of our denomination. It said this. The sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for sin is the definite article. The great truth around which all other truths cluster. In order to be rightly understood and appreciated every truth in the word of God. From what? This two, Revelation, must be studied in the light that comes from the cross of Calvary. And it continues. I present before you the great grand monument of mercy and regeneration, salvation and redemption. The Son of God uplifted on the cross. This is to be the foundation of every discourse given by our ministers gospel workers page 315 and in spanish obreros evangélicos página 330 330 every discourse nobody can can ever come to the church without realizing how they are saved through jesus christ and so my challenge to you today is what would the mission of this church look like if we really got convinced that there's enough bread for everybody first of all The church was called to go out there with the broken body of Jesus. Now, if this story was written today for Adventists, it would have 28 baskets. Because the numbers are given, the culture is given by numbers. You know, 12 for the tribes, 7 for the pagan nations. We have 28 doctrines. This is who we are. But the challenge is don't go out with empty baskets. The doctrines are only baskets. And they are there for us to carry the bread to the people. But there is a problem when we go out there (laughs) hitting people with baskets. Right? Because the doctrines are are the way we carry the the bread. So don't ever go out there with empty baskets. First challenge. Second challenge, go out there. Go out there. Let people come in here. If somebody smells a little different and looks like a little different and they have green hair and belly button rings, you tell them there is enough for your bicycle. There is enough. There's enough for here and there. You never say, "Uh -uh 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 -uh." no. We're not here to be the church police. We are here to embrace people. And tell them there is enough bread for you. And I tell you, what would the mission of the church be? Talk about a catalyst. Jesus blew their minds away. What? You mean there's enough bread for those people over there? And for those kids that stay in the lobby during the sermon? Is there enough for those kids that don't seem interested? Maybe... Go to Sabbath school, maybe to Pathfinders? Yes, there's enough bread. And what if we became a church that was known for embracing all sides? What talk about a catalyst? That everybody that comes in gets a hug from you, no matter what they smell like. They look like. What if we were known for 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 inviting to lunch all the teenage girls that are pregnant out of wedlock. How many of you know how Tony Campolo is? Any of you? Well, he's a very known Christian uh, speaker and writer. <clears throat> he tells the story. One time he went to Hawaii to speak. And because of the time change, he ended up in a bar at 3 o'clock in the morning to eat. and. When he goes into the bar, all the prostitutes are there at 3 o'clock in the morning. This is a real story. This is not made up. And he hears one prostitute tell the other, tomorrow's my birthday, and I never had a birthday party in my life. At that moment, Tony Campolo decides that the next morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he's going to throw a birthday party for Agnes, Was her name? So this woman leaves, and they all get together with all the prostitutes there, the guy that owned the shop, and they decide to decorate the next morning. So at three o'clock in the morning the next day, everybody's there waiting for Agnes to come in. And Tony Campolo brought the cake, and whew, it brings me tears to my eyes just to think what it would feel like if we had a church like this. So. They make the the whole party, and they're ready when she comes in. And when she comes in, everybody yells, Happy birthday, Agnes! And she couldn't speak. She saw the cake with her name on it. And she stops for a moment and says, I have to show my mom. I just live down the street. So she takes the cake and leaves everybody there looking at each other. (laughs) Um, And she says, I'll be right back, right back. So she goes with the cake. It's like half a block. And Tony doesn't know what to do. he says, from a divine inspiration, I said, let's pray. He He says, and I started praying. And I prayed for all the people that were there, he said. And I prayed for Agnes, that God will show her her own worth in God's eyes. And this and that. And when he stops the prayer, he ends the prayer, the man that owned the shop says, you never told me you were a preacher. He says, What kind of church do you belong to? And Tony says, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning. And this man says, No, you don't. If a church like that existed, I would join it. What kind of a church would we have? We would be known for going out there with the broken body of Jesus and reach all your kids that we told them that they didn't qualify and all those people that they know that they're on the other side. What if we were known for bringing the community in to experience this grace? Wouldn't it be amazing? And you know what? You have the right type of church to do this. Jesus is preached here and people are being reached here, but change is difficult. And sometimes the catalyst comes and challenges us, and like the disciples, we don't know what to do with the challenge because could it be that good? You mean my kid that is in jail could know this? That he's included? Maybe you're thinking that way. Because sometimes we play church and we say everything is great and We don't really talk about it, but it's not great. Some of us have unfaithful spouses, and we cried last night. Some of us have addicted parents or addicted relatives, and we don't know how to help them. What if the church was really a hospital? What if you asked me how I'm doing, and I could really tell you? I would love a safe church like that, wouldn't you? And, you know, being in media, I'm challenged when people call me and say, I would like to attend a church after listening to your program, and I don't know what church to send them to. Because I don't want to send them to a church that will send them out because they're not wearing the right color or tie or their shoulders are not covered. I want a church that will embrace them in such a way that we feel loved. I want to finish this part with a video called amazed. Many of you probably have seen it. It's done from an old movie from Jesus. But what is so great here is that the word amazed is constantly repeated in the gospels because everybody was amazed that Jesus had time for them. The paralytic, the adulterous woman, the little child, the centurion, the Syrophoenician woman. And they were all amazed at the grace of God. The truth is the grace of God is the greatest, strongest thing I've ever experienced and I continue to be amazed at his grace may this community become amazed that the Jesus being preached in this church has enough bread for everybody's bicycle